was born on the 17th of November, Delve into a world of words with books and beyond, a podcast made especially for audiobook lovers. I came into the world as the youngest of five children. I wondered children. what Her Majesty would be like. Fie upon you, limpid one. Why have you taken... Immerse yourself in gripping stories and timeless classics from the comfort of your own personal space. Sun Zi underlined three points on the context game initiative. There was initiative. no better wine, and not to mention... The Whether you're a bookworm or a casual listener, our carefully curated selection of audiobooks will transport you to new worlds and stir your imagination. Subscribe to Books and Beyond and start your audiobook adventure now on radio.cgtn.com or your favorite podcast app. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm your host Huang Shan, stepping in for He Yang. Good to have you on this ride. A shortage of pediatricians is a big problem across China. Another alarming fact is that the number of medical students pursuing a career in pediatrics has declined, while the number of pediatricians handing up their bleachers is on the rise. As media reports suggested, higher labor intensity, greater medical risk, and comparatively low salary are some of the reasons which have scared away young doctors. As the demand of pediatric resources is surging, what can we do to improve the situation? And the 13th Beijing International Film Festival has rolled out the red carpet. This year's film festival will showcase over 180 outstanding Chinese and foreign movies. Roundtable will invite you to take a glance at this star-studded festival. For today's program, I'm joined by Yu Xun and Josh Cotterill on the line. First, on today's show. Exhausted, poorly paid, and facing intimidation from parents, children's doctors in China are asking themselves to be or not to be a pediatrician. In the meantime, the shortage of pediatricians in the country is alarming, and it is becoming common to stand in long lines for several hours at pediatric clinics. As the number of pediatricians in China lags way behind demand, this issue once again has raised people's awareness and renewed debate. What are the problems in the pediatrics field? Yuxun, can you help us understand how critical is the shortage of pediatricians in China? Yeah, many hospitals across the country face a severe shortage of pediatricians. An official white paper published in 2017 showed that China lacks 200,000 pediatricians. There are only 100,000 pediatricians for 260 million children until the age of 14, which means the ratio is one pediatrician need to take care of 2,000 patients. Not only is there a shortage of pediatricians, but their numbers are actually dropping. According to the white paper on pediatric resources in China, about 14,000 or 10.7% of pediatricians have quit. And we can see the children pediatrician ratio in China is well below the international level, despite the National Health and Family Planning Commission setting the benchmark number for pediatricians. About 100,000 pediatricians are still needed to fill the gap, as China's medical schools produce no more than 2,000 pediatricians every year, 
And many of them are tempted to opt for another specialization because pediatrics is not a high-paying job. Okay. To add a side note here, you know, for some reasons, many medical schools in China, starting from 1999, uh, ceased to offer bachelor's degrees in clinical pediatrics, which means they downgrade this important specialization to merely one course in the curriculum for the soon-to-be doctors. Back then, the Ministry of Education decided to establish a clinical medicine major in place of pediatrics so as to widen student specialization. However, this significantly reduced the number of pediatricians passing out medical schools every year and a general Physicians, they lack the specialized training necessary to provide professional pediatric service. Further complicates the matter.、Um, you know, although in recent years we have seen the resumption of pediatrics programs in some medical schools, it will take long to fill up this generational gap. So, for Josh, I would like to know what about a situation in the UK or? Elsewhere in the、uh, in let's say the U.S. or other Western countries, are these countries also facing a shortage of pediatricians? Yes, it's actually quite a similar story in the United Kingdom, in my own country, in Europe, and in the U.S. According to the Royal College of Pediatricians and Child Health in the U.K., there's been a thirty percent reduction in pediatric trainee numbers from 2010 to 2018, and right now in the U.K. Um, we only have 3.3 pediatric consultants per 10,000 children, which is pretty incredible.、Um, and in the U.S., roughly one third of active pediatricians are over the age of 55, and nearly 20% of petitions,、uh, positions for pediatricians, remain unfilled. And I think a lot of the reasons for this are going to be quite similar to the ones that you guys have mentioned, and I imagine ones that you are mentioning.、Um, there's an aging population. Of pediatricians in the UK and US and Europe as well, the majority were trained in the 1970s and 1980s, and many of these physicians are nearing retirement age、um, and leaving the workforce. Also, similarly, high workload, burnout, pediatricians—they're often required to work really long hours, heavy caseloads—and of course, one thing that you have to remember is, of course, if There's a child that is sick. It's not just that child that you have to deal with, right? It's also the parents of the child, and not to say that any uh, serious medical uh, issue or experience is more traumatic than another, but obviously there's more people involved with that. So this can be extremely stressful, I think, for pediatricians to deal with, and it can lead to burnout, early retirement age, or of course a desire to move to to opt for another. Uh, medical uh, position, lower compensation as well compared to other specialities, as you guys mentioned,、um, and just general difficult working conditions、uh, overall as well.、Um, things like、uh, significant student loan debt and things like this. So yeah, it's a similar, similarly bleak picture in Europe, the UK, and the US. Yeah. I mean, this is really serious because we do need pediatricians, and how we can inspire those medical school students to、uh, choose this as their future career path. I think,、uh, in terms of the distribution of medical resources in this regard, it's just similar to other aspects, which is like 
the scarcity of pediatricians is being felt more in rural areas. If we are talking about the situations in major cities, in those、uh, cosmopolitan cities, if these cities are facing the shortage of pediatricians, how about you know rural areas? So this is a very critical problem we need to address. And if we start with、uh, the medical school stage. Because if we want to have more pediatricians, we need to cultivate more talents in this field. But it seems like in China,、uh, as media reports suggested, pediatrics is not the preferred choice of many students in the country when they are applying for medical school. Because you know this is a very special occupation or a very special field in the medical world because your patients. We know that our children, our kids,、um, specialists—they require more patience and、uh, relatively high communication skills.、Um, apparently, this is not as lucrative as some other employment choices. Because some medical school students told reporters, saying、uh, many of their university classmates in the medical school. Are not pursuing a career in medicine after graduation. Instead, they work in the fields of medical devices, drugs, and the health products, etc. As far as they know,、um, well, they are not the only one in the class who、uh, have chosen to be a pediatrician. So many other people they are competing for other fields or other specializations in the medical field. So. Yushun, what do you think? In your opinion, why why students? Well, you know, to be enrolled into a medical school, it requires a very high academic score. So after they have been enrolled into medical school, why? It seems like the choice of becoming a pediatrician in the future is not that attractive. I think one thing is、uh, what you said. You know they. They not only need to be excellent in their own profession, but also need to grasp the skills of communicating with kids, and maybe sometimes also with parents. You know, and another thing is that I think the promotion strategy of,、uh, like, in the pediatric departments, are thus caught in a sort of vicious cycle. Pediatrics is not a like. Profitable department, which has caused some hospitals to not pay attention to the construction of pediatrics, and many pediatricians said that they are at a disadvantageous position in the title of promotion system, as the high workload of pediatricians prevents them from spending time on scientific research, and the promotion speed is much slower than that of doctors in other fields. And I think in all of these reasons. The result is that many pediatricians are even leaving the career, right? Because we can see the data from pediatrics committee of the Chinese Medical Association. It showed that two pediatricians will quit in every hospital every year, in average. And the 2015 statistics yearbook of China's health and family planning showed that the number of pediatricians dropped by 16% in 2014 compared to that in 2013. There's a saying in the doctor's circle: you can choose, like, ophthalmic or surgeon, but pediatric is always not the first choice. So we can totally see, you know, maybe this is a joke, of course, but we can totally see the situation of pediatrics department in the whole sector. Yes, I think、uh, to echo your point,、uh, when 
there was an interview and there was a pediatric student mentioned that actually being a pediatrician was not his first choice, which means like for him, he was the only one who chose the direction of pediatrics among his undergraduate classmates because the reason is very, very practical. The pressure of postgraduate entrance examination for pediatrics is relatively small. And other popular specializations, uh, such as adult surgery and neurosurgery, are highly competitive. So, in his view, this like a pediatrician to be most clinical medicine graduates view pediatrics as a second best career choice. And maybe in order to get a seat into the postgraduate school, then they have to do this choice. But this was not their first choice. So, Josh. Uh, what do you think? What has deterred prospective medical students from specializing in pediatrics? I think that there's many reasons why these students don't go into this profession. I think that it's for many of the same reasons that we've actually discussed. I think that they're already medical students. I know in the United Kingdom that the issues that junior doctors are having when they go into training is really crazy. The long hours. It was well documented because there was actually a famous book that was released, and I think that it was or is going to be made into a film or a TV series, and it's called I think This Is Gonna Hurt or something like that, and it's about being a junior doctor. After that book, this was about five six years ago. After that book gained popularity, people started to really understand how much pressure these doctors are under. Layered on top of that, the pressure of Becoming a pediatrician, and given that the benefits, as you guys mentioned, aren't、uh, the compensation isn't as high as other areas, why would you even do it?、Um, and stress on students is is so high as well. So, I mean, I, I can't absolutely respect respect to these people that are doing this. And I think rather what we need to be looking at is how to encourage more. Doctors, students to actually become pediatricians, which is very difficult to do. I personally think that they should be compensated extremely、um, highly, at least in this area of medicine. I don't understand why. I think we should increase the compensation, offer more competitive packages and incentives, such as student loan repayments, relocation assistance,、um, things like this. I think that there needs to be a better distribution of wealth, at least in my own country. For for this position, yeah, definitely. I mean, if we are in critical shortage of pediatricians, and we want to inspire more people to take part in this mission, I mean, to become pediatricians in the near future, definitely we have to offer some incentives. If from the medical school,、uh, the tuition fee can be reduced or exempted. I think more people will be motivated. Although talking about money is very cliche, or sometimes is too shallow, but this is one of the most powerful incentives, in my opinion. So if you want to encourage people to take this as a future career, and then you have to encourage them and think about why they don't want to embark on this career path. Apparently, I think. Pediatricians in China, many of them have been caught in that dilemma, and they are thinking about: Should I stay or should I quit? Earlier, Yushun mentioned that many pediatricians they are leaving the career. I mean, before we dive into 
the discussion of how we can improve the situation. In order to solve the problem, we have to figure out what are the deep-rooted problems. I think we have touched upon several of them: the workload, the bonus, the promotion system. So maybe we can go deeper into this issue. So, in your opinion, what are the problems? I mean, we all know there are several problems out there. So maybe we can give it a better and detailed interpretation as well as analysis. In this way, we can better address the issue. Right, and of course, we have to admit that, you know,、uh, the factor to define a good job. One thing is the workload. Another thing is the salary. Right. If you cannot reduce the workload of pediatricians, then you need to give them a pay raise. But the thing is, we can see that the workload of pediatricians is really, really heavy, and we can see some statistics from the survey in this area. An average of workload of a pediatrician is 1.68 times that of a non-pediatrician, but earns only 76% of the revenue of his colleagues. In addition, according to a 2020 survey by Chinese Public Health. Forty-two percent of pediatricians take only one day off a week. Thirty-seven percent of them have to work seven days a week, and only about twenty percent of them take more than two days off a week. Yeah, passion will fade out without some concrete support, and in some cases, it seems like pediatricians. In China, in public、uh, medical institutions, many of them. They can see more than two hundred patients a day. Can you imagine that workload? If you are doing that much, maybe you are expecting you will be rewarded by the money you receive every month. What's more, it's about a bonus system because、um, you know when you are giving out drug prescriptions, that could contribute to the level of your bonus. However, we all know that. A child needs a relatively small dose of drugs, almost one fourth of an adult's dosage. This means the bonus to a pediatrician is far less than that of his or her colleague from other departments for the same workload. So these are the problems. So Josh, what do you think? What are some problems you can see? Yeah, I think that there la- there's a lack of really good initiatives to encourage these. People to become pediatricians, and I think that's something that's missing. I know that there are several initiatives that are happening.、Um, I could give you some examples of them.、Uh, for example, in the U.S., there's something called the Pediatric Pipeline Initiative,、um, which I thought was quite an interesting term,、um, and this aims to increase the diversity of the pediatric workforce. So this is something that I've read as well before this show: is that th- there's a need to encourage diversity. Um, because diversifying the、um, in diversity in the field of pediatrics can also help to a- attract a more diverse group of medical students who are interested in serving also very diverse communities.、Um, and、uh, in the U.S. in particular, there's、uh, th- there's a lot of initiatives for this. So、uh, that was quite interesting and something that I never thought about.、Uh, and also,、uh, the Royal College of Pediatrics and Child Health workforce, the RCPCH.、Um, this is a campaign that aims to make pediatrics an attractive career by lobbying for increased investment in pediatric services and healthcare. But right now, they're just lobbying for it. It doesn't really work in this regard.、Uh, another thing that 
I think is quite important is that I've read about is just increasing public awareness. I think that many people, they're just not really aware of how much work goes into this. And I think that it, it might be because I guess that if you're an adult and you've lived longer, this may be one thing. You can tell me if I'm you think I'm wrong about this, but I guess if you're an adult and you've lived longer, you've probably been to the hospital a lot more times. And so you're more aware of um, these positions and you understand them a lot more. Um, you know, for example, I guess a skin care specialist, right? I, I think at some point in most people's lives, they will have had some issue with that or it won't have been uncommon to have known somebody. But with pediatricians, if you've got a young child, it's probably the one of the first times that you've actually encountered that kind of medical care, right? And so in that regard, I guess quite a lot of adults aren't that familiar with that area of medicine in general. And I think that public awareness is really important for this because, of course, if people, if the public are more invested and aware about a certain type of medicine, they're probably more likely to encourage uh, investment in this. That's just one point. I wonder if you guys agree with me on that one. Yeah, yeah. And I think also in that way, the issue is also like lizing the requirements of the pediatricians itself. You know, one thing is from the perspective of children. Many children cannot clearly express their symptoms and pain, and the frequent changes in state undoubtedly increase. I think the difficulty for pediatricians. Therefore, pediatric department needs to, like you know, be more cautious not only to cure the current disease but also to consider the child's future growth and development. And another thing is the parents. You know, sometimes the parents are the one who is hard to deal with. I used to be in education sector, but for kids, and I can absolutely understand the situation of、uh, pediatricians. We are not saying that the parents are. Bad or wrong, because we can totally understand that people may only pay attention to their own children, of course, especially when their children are sick, right? Otherwise, they wouldn't go to the hospital. But and then they must be more anxious in that under that circumstance. So in that way, it could be harder to communicate with parents. So I think that is also one of the reasons that. Medical students, they have to pay more attention to not only their own profession but also communication skills. Yeah, what's more is like to train a professional pediatrician. It takes time. We need at least eleven years to train a pediatrician. Five years undergraduate studies, three years graduate studies, and three years training in the hospitals after graduation. If we do the math here, in total. At least eleven years, then the pediatrician can offer medical service independently. If a student was enrolled in a major, let's say back in twenty fourteen, he or she could only offer medical service on kids independently in twenty twenty five. So this is a long process. Okay, here back to the question and the last question: How and what can we do? To address the issue, to improve the situation, because we do need more pediatricians. I think first of all,、uh, as I mentioned before, increased compensation,、um, and I've already spoken about that. I think improved working conditions, including reducing work hours and caseloads to reduce burnout,、um, offering mentoring and support. I think mentorship and other support to medical students and young pediatricians in particular. 
is going to be really important to help them feel more uh, connected. And I think that this support needs to go further than just training them in medicine. I, I know that this support exists as well. I'm not a medical professional myself, but um, I, I'm aware that there probably needs to be a bit more support in regards to dealing with patients and the families of patients as well um, in, in this regard. Also, increasing public awareness, as I mentioned before. This is quite difficult to do. It's quite difficult to suddenly make a whole population more aware of something or care about something more. That's a, extremely difficult. But I think that this still needs to happen. And I think that students need to be encouraged more to consider pediatrics as a profession. Um, and this can only happen with creating more training programs as well, more initiatives in schools and universities to attract medical students to pediatrics as well. And uh, a final thing, as I mentioned before, I think encouraging diversity is also extremely important in this uh, profession. I agree. And um... In the sector of training more pediatricians, I think um, there are some actually some ways that has been used in normal universities. For example, you can pay part or all of the tuition fees for students in pediatrics major, but these students must work as pediatricians for a certain number of years after graduation. And to make sure the number of pediatricians is increasing, and we can also train general practitioners to work as pediatricians, then parents can get their kids treated in grassroots medical institutions because sometimes we should expand the number of pediatricians from the grassroots level, not only in some big hospitals, in some uh, urban areas like Beijing and Shanghai, right? Of course, pediatricians, dedicated doctors and nurses, they deserve all the respect, in my opinion. It's Roundtable with myself, Huang Shan, Josh Cotrill, and Yu Shun. Stick around, everybody. We'll be back after the break. D-Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with me, Huang Shan, joined by Yu Shun and Josh Cotterill. It's always good to have you along. Coming up, under the theme "Beauty in a Variety, Harmony in Diversity," this year's Beijing International Film Festival aims to bring together films from around the world. With a series of film-related activities, the week-long festival has brought moviegoers closer to the big screen, with a balanced lineup including blockbusters, some under-the-radar art house films, and rescreenings of classics. What are the movies in your watch list? What's more, the kites in Weifang never disappoint. Every year, the Weifang International Kite Festival fascinates visitors and netizens with creative kites. As paper birds of unimaginable designs glide across the sky, what's the charm of flying a kite? You can share with us your thoughts by rating and reviewing the show at Roundtable China on Apple Podcasts, and you can send us voice questions to EZFM Roundtable at foxmail.com to take part in our heart-to-heart -heart segment. Now on Roundtable. 
The 13th Beijing International Film Festival is in full swing. This year, the festival received nearly 1,500 entries from across the world, and among them, 15 have been selected to compete for the Tiantan Award. Meanwhile, global filmmakers and industry insiders have gathered in the capital city to present the development of motion pictures in the new era. For more on this. Our very own Yu Xun has spoken with Xing Yu, our reporter who is covering the event on site. Let's hear them out. The 13th Beijing International Film Festival is ongoing right now, and I can still remember that there were a series of film-related events such as screenings, forums, and carnivals last year. Xing Yu, I know you have also attended several events and forums. What are some of the highlights about this year? Well, one of the things you cannot miss is the Tiantan Award,、mm. and this year the number of entries reached a record high. And what's noticeable is that 80% of them were from foreign countries and regions. So more international players are joining the game. And now we have 15 films that were shortlisted, and three are Chinese films, and the rest are from countries like Argentina, France, Italy, U.S. So I can really see the film festival is going global, and there is an increasing level of diversity and inclusiveness in its selection. So, are there any films or the ones got shortlisted caught your attention? Yeah, among the shortlisted ones,、um, I am particularly interested in one of the French movies titled "Driving Madeleine."、Uh, mm. In Chinese, "Man Miao Zhi Lu." It's basically about an old lady who gets on a taxi to a nursing home, and when she gets on a taxi, she asks the driver to go around the city. And during this process, she recollects her memories. So it's a road movie, and meanwhile, it's also a movie about the life of an old woman. So I'm really interested in that one.、Hmm. And I know the lineup of jury committee is always one of the biggest news of Tiantan Award, right? Yeah. So can you introduce us、um, the juries of? The Tiantan Award this year. Yeah, this year's jury lineup really made headlines too.、Um, China's top filmmaker Zhang Yimou、mm. uh, is chairing the committee, and he's joined by six leading figures in the film industry from China, Thailand, Israel, and Argentina. For me, I'm happy to see Zhang Songwen being one of the members of the jury committee.、Mm. Um, I barely knew about the actor before、um, until I watched one of the mystery TV series called *The Bad Kids*. It's like a,、mm. a TV series two, three years ago, and、um, he was not one of the leading actors, but his acting skills really caught my attention,、mm. and. Yeah, and this year he had this、um, hugely popular TV drama called *The Knockout*, Kuang Biao,、mm. and he gained huge popularity. And I'm really happy to see that he is gaining recognition from the public. Yeah,、mm. and I know there's a section called Beijing Film Panorama, and it will screen works from all over the world, building a platform of observation, discussion, learning, and exchange. For filmmakers and fans throughout the world, right? Yeah. So, what movies are there to expect at the Panorama?、Mm. For movie lovers, I, I think what they expect the most is actually going to the theaters, to the cinemas, to watch some good movies. And this year, 
The Beijing Film Panorama presents around 180 old and new movies from China and the world, which are screened in 27 cinemas and theaters across the city. So, apart from the 15 shortlisted films that I've mentioned, it also showcases films under different categories, like.、Uh, The retrospective section,、uh, where you can、uh, watch the films made by late Japanese filmmaker Seijun Suzuki, and also、uh, there's a section about Zhang Yimou's movies, including、uh, Hong Gaoliang, Red Sorghum, and this year also marks the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative. So there are a particular section for the movies produced by countries along the Silk Road.、Uh, what I am particularly interested in is the movie called Next Sahi. From South Korea, and there is also section about the representation of women and the movies produced by young Chinese directors, including、uh, the Journey to the West, 宇宙探索编辑部 which is currently on in the cinema. The Journey to the West. I thought Journey the to the West. <laughs> it's the tra- translation of Shiyoji. No, no, no. Yeah, it's the same translation, but it's a completely different movie.、Mm-hmm. And also, there's a section about Warner Brothers classics, including、mm-hmm. the Shawshank Redemption, Gravity, and Casablanca. So the variety really caters to different tastes.、Hmm. So, have you watched any films during the panorama? The answer is sadly no.、Oh. Like I said, there are a lot of movie options, but for some popular ones, it's really hard to get one ticket.、Um, last Tuesday, when the tickets were released, many were instantly sold out within few seconds. So it's not buying; it's it's literally snatching. <laughs> it's、mm. a real match of、uh, finger speed, you know. So I was one step late, but. On the other hand, I could really feel people's enthusiasm of hitting the theaters,、mm. um, especially now there are no COVID restrictions.、Mm. So I, I feel、uh, it feels like good old days are back. And for me, I haven't watched a film in the cinema for quite some time. I think last time was last year. <laughs> yeah, it, it might sound like an excuse, but sometimes life does get busy and. And I get lazy, so I would、okay. rather watch a movie lying on the couch through iPad. But through this film festival, it really changed my mind. I think the big screens really matters. Spending two hours in the dark and immersing yourself in in a story really expands the watching experience and brings the charm of a movie to the next level.、Hmm, of course, right, right, and. I think film is actually an art form for all age, for people from all walks of life. And film can offer people an opportunity to explore the variety and diversity of the world、yeah. from just staring at the huge screen.、Mm. Thank you, Xinyu, for talking with us, and I hope you can enjoy the rest of the event. It's my pleasure. Thank you. That is Yushun talking with Xinyu, our reporter who is covering the Beijing International Film Festival on site. Yushun, I know you covered the Beijing International Film Festival in 2022, and obviously、right. you had a great time there. How would you compare <laughs> this year's event with the previous one? After talking to Xinyu, are there any interesting activities that have caught your attention? Yeah, of course. One of the most obvious differences is the, I think, the atmosphere of what Xinyu said—the film carnival. You know, that is a big part for public actually. 
last year, I could remember they're trying to offer citizens a chance to enjoy the excitement. For example, enabling interactive experiences and cross-border interactions between film, TV, and esports. But this year, they also spotted what has been really, really popular recently. That is rather, you know, kind of a slower pace of lifestyle. They are offering activities and、um, platforms for camping and cultural fairs, and you can freely wander around the Yanqi Lake. That is absolutely a stunning view right now in the you know flower blooming spring. And also, of course, another thing that is quite different and caught my eyes is they held a filmmaker frisbee invitational tournament, which is、um, an outdoor frisbee sports event initiated by. Filmmakers for the public, so I think that is,、um, you know, my takeaway from this year's film festival that it offers even more activities and widens the interaction between film industry and、um, other areas. That sounds pretty cool. Since we're talking about a film festival, so well, guys, do you have any movie to recommend? You know, what are the movies that you would like to watch during the coming? Holiday. Yeah, one film that I've really enjoyed recently is a film that was at the Cannes Film Festival, actually back in 2021, and it was released to somewhat mixed reviews. But I found that it's been one of the most hilarious and interesting movies that I've seen in a long time. It's a film called Triangle of Sadness. It's directed by Ruben Ostrand, who is a Swedish filmmaker who's really known for his very dark humor. And satirical style. It's it's a satire film about the fashion industry. It's about beauty, beauty standards, excess wealth, and all the power that surrounds that. And it, the story resolves around a couple of supermodels and some billionaires、uh, on a yacht. And then、uh, I won't ruin much of the story, but the dynamics for me and the metaphors are. Just、uh, amazing, and I and I found it to be really hilarious, and also it's beautifully shot, and it also has Woody Harrelson in it、um, as a、uh, a very wayward ship captain. So、uh, I find him to be incredible in this movie. I think he's one of the best actors of our generation. So, yeah, that is my recommendation. Please go check it out. Let us know if you enjoyed it, and I'm very looking forward to you guys' recommendations as well. Great, I'm writing that down. Okay, Yushun, what you would like to recommend? Yeah, the movie I would like to recommend is the one that Xingyu just mentioned before, "Journey to the West," directed by Kong Dashan.、Um, yeah, I was quite interested in the title of the film after talking with Xingyu, so I checked out the trailer and the description of this film, and I also watched some of the interviews of the director. So the main character, who is Tang Zhijun in this movie, he believes in alien life forms and has to the mountainous. Southwest of China to investigate after watching a mysterious online video, and I saw that the score of this movie on some film rating platforms are quite good, and it is also, of course, screening in this year's BJIFF Panorama. But according to the director, he just wanted to make a movie that the general audience would enjoy. And the core of this story is very simple. It's still the well-known classic, "The Journey to the West," what we mentioned. And each character corresponds to the original characters, like Monk Tang and Monkey King, and etc. So 
they are actually trying to use the structure of the original journey to the West, but in a modern society and in a metaphorical way. And I think that is maybe one of the reasons that a lot of people like this film, because on the one hand, it is an artistic film presented in the form of a mockumentary, which means mock documentary. And on the other hand, this mockumentary is actually regarded by many science fiction fans as a true documentary and a glimpse into their true spiritual world. I know that sounds a little bit vague, but um, as a sci-fi fan, I would absolutely go and check it out. But but I haven't got a chance to really watch the movie, so I cannot really say that there are something really deeper uh, in this story, but I think I will try to watch it. And if our listeners have any ideas about this movie, feel free to get in touch with us. And um, yeah, that is my recommendation. Journey to the West, directed by Kum Dashan. Yeah, I think that's the magic of movies because you can explore the message trying to be conveyed through the production and you can also read through the mind of the director and there are so many aesthetic aspects attached to one production that's the reason why we love movies especially good movies so for me i would like to recommend two films one is a chinese production it is also one of the movies vying for the tiantan award this year which is the shadowless tower if you are familiar with this title then you may recognize it it's an actual pagoda located in beijing um, this mystical-sounding structure is a real-life pagoda in Beijing, in a downtown area. It is the Yuan Dynasty pagoda, which has an eccentric design that makes it hard to see its shadow. I like the metaphor here, because this Asian pagoda has come to be a metaphor for midlife crisis, when the past and future are equal on each side, leaving you disoriented and directionless as if the sun is directly overhead, preventing you from casting a shadow. So the building's very unique shape, which is a white cylindrical structure in an urban jungle of gray and rectangle buildings, also reflects how each person feels unique while amidst conformity. The movie actually follows Mr. Gu, who is a moderately successful food critic who cares for his daughter and is estranged from his father, who still follows him for, from a distance. The movie tries to show that middle age has its comforts as well as disappointment and also offers us to reinvent our roles as parents, children, and lovers. I can't wait to see this movie and how it can convey the charm of Beijing because we are based in Beijing. Uh, and I also want to visit the cafe next to the White Pagoda to see how the director received his inspiration. Of course, there's another movie because this year's film festival is themed in, uh, you know, cultural exchanges. So I would like to recommend another American production, which is called Megan. Yeah, it is also a sci-fi movie. The movie, if you have watched it, you may mm. know that. Yeah, I can see Yu Xuan is nodding his hat, right? This movie features right. an eight-year-old named Katie whose parents died in a car accident. She's then placed into the care of her aunt, Gamma, who is experimenting with a new AI robot. I don't want to offer more spoilers, but in this movie, it talks about the role of AI in our contemporary lifestyle because sometimes a robot is not just an evil robot rather ai is our 
therapist. AI could be our entertainment. Sometimes is our encyclopedia. And AI is what we rely on. But therein lies a problem. AI is not a distant threat. Anyone who uses Siri already treats AI like an、uh, encyclopedia. Anyone who uses mindfulness apps already treat AI like their therapist. And a new ChatGPT will talk about this for several times. It is just the latest aspect of AI to enter our lives. You know, back in the 1960s, teachers they were afraid of students bringing calculators into a classroom because they were worried. Well, students would rely on technology, and when we were growing up, teachers were afraid that students would use websites online to plagiarize homework. But some studies argue that the internet has reduced people's cognitive ability. Why bother remembering things if you can just look it up and just ask your Siri, like you know, ask your AI friend, just a few clicks away. AI and robots—they will take it one step further by turning a mental aid into an emotional aid that completely replaced the people in our lives. That's a message I got from this movie, Megan. You know, who says a robot in a little girl's outfit isn't scary? When my husband saw the doll-like robot and declared, "Oh, I am scared." So. Well, that can be even scarier. <laughs> yeah, have you watched a movie, Peter? <laughs> yes, I did. Okay.、And、yeah, that that was really good, but not that scary to be honest. But they are、uh, portraying a scary atmosphere, I would say. Yeah, but more of the side of thought provoking, I would say. Maybe it's time for us to stop being a couch potato. It's time for us to celebrate. A return to the big screen. Sometimes, you know, determining what movie to go see at a theater can definitely make your day. You are listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, the kite capital of the world, Weifang, flies to new heights. Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable. Where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the hour of roundtable with myself, Huang Shan, Josh Cotrill, and Yu Shun. The Weifang International Kite Festival in the northern province of Shandong, China, has once again captured the attention of locals and tourists alike. The festival, which showcases an array of colorful and creatively designed kites, has become a business card of the city, drawing thousands of visitors each year. But before we dive into what makes people love kites so much, Yushun, can you walk us through why this has become a new social media craze? Right, I think one of the reasons absolutely need to be the shape of the kites. You know, from the basic level, classic small swallows, eagles, butterfly, whale, octopus, everything you can imagine from animals and animated characters also in the line, like Astro Boy and Detective Conan. And after that, we can also see some really, really huge kites like. Flying Qing Shi Huang, which is、uh, the emperor of Qing Dynasty, and also we can see some super long railway trains and rockets flying in the sky. You know,、uh, and I saw that event even featured a 150 meter long CR train kite made by Zhang Huagan, who is a renowned kite maker. So we can see kite enthusiasts have showcased their creativity and even craftsmanship、uh, during the event. 
Yeah, that sounds really creative. So, Josh, have you checked the photos online to see how、um, outrageously creative are these kite runners? Are yeah, it's pretty amazing, and I I think that it's quite inspiring, really. I mean, it's something just so simple in essence, and it's something so old. Actually, kite flying has been around for centuries, maybe even longer. I'm not even sure if we know exactly how long. This activity's been around, and it's a popular activity worldwide as well, all over the world. It's huge in the West as well.、Um, you know, before doing this show, I did a little bit of research, and I found that、mm. there is another kite festival in France called、really? the Dipay Kite Festival. Yeah, and it attracts hundreds of thousands of visitors. And there's some incredible pictures of of this. So if anybody wants to go check that out as well, you can compare them. And it also has some amazing designs and some amazing kites, and I, I just think it's really cool. I think it's such a cool activity, and I I have noticed though since living in China that culturally it is more popular with all generations. I think a lot of the time in the United Kingdom it's more popular with kids, but here I see people of all ages doing it, especially elderly people. In China,、uh, you know there are differences between. Traditional kites and contemporary kites. It seems like the fun of contemporary kite lies in the process of flying the kite itself, while the craftsmanship is what makes traditional handmade kites rare and expensive. From the selection of bamboo for the frame to various processes such as、uh, woodworking, painting, framing, and structuring, and finally flying, each step requires careful attention. And this is not only a hobby anymore, or part of your interest that you would like to do it for a day of exercise. Apparently, this has been developed into an industry. Bishan, do you have more information? Yeah, of course. In 2016, the local government of Weifang created the Weishui Kite Town,、um, which has become a special kite town that integrates functions such as kite culture display, skill inheritance. Flying experience, rural harvest, and farmhouse catering, and in recent years, we can see that local kite factories have entered the e-commerce market one after another, and most manufacturers have their online stores. Some even use, you know, short video platforms and live streaming platforms to promote their products. Some are even creating results of increased sales during the pandemic era. So we can totally see that the industry of kite flying is、um, growing, and、um, there are also more people who would like to fly a kite after the, you know, the promoting of、um, the kite-related industry. Yeah, another fascinating fact is that kite makers' their awareness of intellectual property rights is also increasing. Or Flying、right. to a new height, because besides applying for patents, registering a trademarks, and hiring professional designers to design kite images, they not only maintain the interests of individuals and companies, but also ensure the diversity of uniqueness of kite shapes. This is a great move, I would say, and、uh, mm. apparently. We have seen this successful example of using one of your cultural heritage or、uh, the specialty of your local activities to be the business card of your city. And another example that is gaining traction nowadays in China is Zibo. 
which is famous for、oh. its barbecue. So, Josh, well, the last question: Do you have any examples of how you can just use some specialties in your city or in your region to promote, let's say, the image of your place, or just use that as a business card to invite more visitors, tourists to come to visit? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a great. Business model, and it's something that really attracts a lot of people. In my own town, for example,、uh, aside from being famous because of our fair, where it's famous for like rides and things like this, although not as much anymore, it's more famous for the old song. We're pretty famous for seafood in the United Kingdom, and we proudly boast that we have the best scampi in the whole of the UK. Do you know what scampi is? No.、Nope. Okay, no. so scampi is kind of like. It's almost like mini fish and chips. Like they're、ah. in, t- they're like tiny balls like this, and you get a lot of them, and they're incredibly delicious. They're not prawns, and they're not really fish either. It's sort of something else. Anyway, we we boast that Whitby, which is just a town just down the road from my town, has the best scampi in the world, and、um, so people will come to the town, especially older people who love their fish and chips, and they will. Go to Scarborough, my hometown, or go to Whitby, and have scampi or fish and chips, and it's a big draw to people. It's quite funny, but also it's it's really important for the town. This industry,、um, given that we thrive off tourism, so and yeah, I think that if you market your town as being sort of the only place in the world that has this thing, however niche and specific it might be, you could make it really unusual,、um, but、uh, it, it attracts people, and of course, it's. Pretty Instagrammable. Not that many of these、um, older generations are Instagramming themselves at the、uh, fish and chip shop, but still, yeah, it's it's pretty Instagrammable, which is important these days for tourism, as we have discussed on this show. So you guys even created something based on fish and chips. So next time, everybody is saying British people only have、yeah. fish and chips. You can tell them they have something based on that. Yeah, scrambling. Yeah,、uh, Or, definitely. You know- I mean. Fish and chips is a lot more diverse than it sounds. Actually, yeah, you know, there's there's、right. a lot of different styles that you can have. You can have different batter that can be thick or thin. You can have different fishes inside the batter. Yeah, you can use different、yeah. batters. I think the coating. Exactly. Yeah. There you go. You're getting into it, Huangshen. Exactly. Yeah. Our yeah. lesson today is like British people have more to offer, and Instagram worthy <laughs> is a key word here. Not much. Yeah, but the question is, <laughs>、yeah. where should we travel to next? However, that brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much for your company. You can find us on Apple Podcast at Roundtable China. Thank you, Yushun and Josh, for joining the show. See you next time. <laughs>